Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The NATO meeting, of course, is wrapping up and uh, the world leaders have, uh, well, made some commitments to Ukraine about what they want to do and what they want to facilitate, I guess, to get Ukraine in as a member of NATO. And and that's something that's hopefully going to happen sooner than later. In the meantime, uh, there's a war going on. And, uh, well, it's... as you might have expected, with all the talk about what was going on with Ukraine, uh, the Russians have responded. Uh, more drone attacks, of course, in that particular war. But there's something else that's happening, too, that's, uh, I think, intriguing for no- different reasons, and that's what's going on in Russia itself. Uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin is uh, now claiming that the uh, Wagner private military company is, uh, the, remember the ones that yeah, almost marched on Moscow a couple of weeks ago? He says they are not a legal entity. Charles Dillesma has some details for us. Putin's comments add to the series of often bizarre twists that have followed the group's abortive revolt last month. Putin told a Russian newspaper late on Thursday, referring to the Wagner group, that there is no law on private military organizations. It just doesn't exist. Putin says Wagner had rejected an offer to keep its troops in Ukraine, where they have played key battlefield roles under the leadership of their direct commander. All of them, Putin says, could have gathered in one place and continue to serve, and nothing would have changed for them. Putin has previously said the militia had to choose whether to sign contracts with the Russian Defence Ministry, move to neighbouring Belarus, or retire from service. I'm Charles Stilatesma. So what is going on, and, and, and what is Putin's reaction to this? It just seems so bizarre over the last couple of weeks. Uh, our next guest can hopefully shed some light onto this. Hey, uh, he, is, of course, is Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at Carleton University. Elliot, always a pleasure. Thanks for the time today. Oh, thank you. Good morning, Bill. What's the story within the story here? I mean, you know, three or four weeks ago, we were talking about uh, this, this group of, of militia-paid uh, soldiers, of course, marching on on moscow and we thought we thought there was going to be a, a face-to-face uh they backed off uh they went over to belarus for a little while uh, we thought that though there was going to be as usually is in, in a situation like this in in russia uh some repercussions uh but putin seems strangely i guess reticent to, to actually discipline to try to do anything about what happened what is going on there <laughs> A mystery uh, wrapped in a riddle, wrapped in the yeah. in enigma. <laughs> yeah. Uh, paraphrasing Churchill. The reality is nobody has a factual uh, basis for making uh, firm statements on what's going on there. Uh, I think you and I have talked uh, over a number of year, uh, months and weeks that one of the big stories coming out of the war in Ukraine, which I thought was not getting enough attention, so we talked about it, was that the failure of the imperial ambitions of Mr. Putin was leading to something extraordinary, which was visible cracks, visible uh, disarray, visible competition at the very top within the Kremlin security and military apparatus that did come finally to a dramatic head, as you, as we know, we've talked about that, with the march of, of justice for Prigozhin, mm-hmm. uh, apparently... And this is all part of a tit-for-tat among three strong-willed personalities, uh, the Minister of Defense and the head of the armed forces and Prigozhin. Prigozhin has long claimed that he's been starved of resources, and his, they are so incompetent, they have bungled the war, he's carrying the war. And uh, uh, they responded by saying, okay, if that's how you feel, we're going to wrap up your forces into our command. Now we're going to have a new law a new process that all these unofficial groups 
are now going to have to actually sign contracts with the military. And that's when Prigozhin said no way and started to march on Moscow. And then that got called off for reasons which still aren't very clear. So what we have right now is uh, a fascinating situation where Mr. Putin has just now said, well, there's no legal basis. That's what's the opening hook for this uh, conversation for such private military companies. But of course, Shoigu himself has some. And it was just a few days ago that Mr. Putin, for the very first time, said, oh, yes, uh, we they are an arm of the Russian state. We've been paying them. We, we paid them a billion rubles uh, last year alone. So they are clearly are an arm of the foreign policy of uh, Mr. Putin, effective in Africa in particular. Uh, that is the foreign policy, as others have said, <laughs> of Russia is, is what Prigozhin's doing and uh, in Ukraine. So now we have a situation where the, the, I don't know how to put it, the Frankenstein that was created by Mr. Putin to be effective has turned against him in some way, in a way that's embarrassing. It looks today as if what's happening is a systematic demeaning of Prigozhin himself, laying the basis for a legal uh, charge against him on corruption. But at the same time, the bottom line for Mr. Putin is he cannot afford to lose in Ukraine, and Prigozhin is the only one who's been effective with his, with his terrible tactics uh, in actually winning anything in Ukraine, in Bakhmut in particular. And that seems to be where we are today. But, you know, I think you and I talk about this. Uh, that, that was, of course, that crazy weekend where he was marching on Russia and then boom, yes. you know, 12 hours later, he's he's in Belarus. Uh, but <laughs> subsequent to that, you figure, okay, he's a dead man walking. I mean, you don't do that to Vladimir Putin. Uh, but just a couple of days ago, uh, Prozhokin and 34 of his officers actually met with Putin. Uh, so is is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he on side with Putin? We, we really don't know what's going on there, do we? Yeah, or has he disappeared? One of the yeah. fascinating things to me was that story broke, and th that was the headlines, and everybody talked about it, except it was a story that was already four or five days old. It came out that there was a meeting uh, in Moscow. It came out that, uh, despite being called a traitor and treasonous and all that, that there was a face-to-face -face meeting in Moscow after uh, Prigozhin had visited his home in, <laughs> in St. Petersburg and had all his money returned to him and a lot of his weapons, personal weapons returned to him. So it's some strange Russian compromise seemed to be worked out. What hadn't been noticed was that that story was already a number of days old, four or five days old when it broke. And now we have several more days since, and nobody has seen Prigozhin uh, in the interim. So what's going on there is anybody's guess. But what looks to be the situation is that there's going to be a purge in the in the military structure of um, at the very top and up and down the, the layers within the security and defense establishment. But within the military, there's apparently a purge up being slowly built up that will lead to the removal of a number of people. And I talked about Sirovakan, uh, the General Armageddon, who was very, apparently very close to Mr. Prigozhin, has now... Uh, gone to rest as remember the duma has said that's the only good news i can report this morning is that the um, the general who perfected the techniques of committing war crimes against civilians in syria as part of russia's intervention there attack hospitals attack bakeries attack civilian uh, apartment buildings 
just attack and attack. The one who perfected that, those techniques are now being used. We just saw, as I think you mentioned in passing, that there was a drone attack, another attack, a major attack yeah. on um, Kiev, but also on the hometown of, of uh, President Zelensky. So he perfected all that. Apparently, he's out of favor. So one good thing may come out of all this. But out, the bottom line, the bottom line here is that if there is continued chaos and uh, disarray at the very top and throughout the echelons at the top in the Kremlin, that is good news for Ukraine because Ukraine is in the fight for its life and having further demoralization among the Russian troops. And we have the story of a, of a Russian general, Popov, who has now been dismissed because he tried to tell the truth tied basically the same truth that Prigozhin was saying, we're not getting the support we need uh, and we're doing our part at the front, but we're being uh, stabbed in the back because the top generals are not providing us with what we need. So the real traitors are those who are not supporting the front line. All of that, and he's now been removed and that was got, that got leaked and another general got uh, killed uh, by, by a drone attack by Ukraine. All of that adds up to the fact that the disarray at the top now percolating down uh, even to the field level. All of that is some good news for Ukraine because it will further demoralize the Russian military offensive. How stable is the government? And I'm not suggesting this, you know, that Putin's going to be out of a job in the next couple of days, although it wouldn't surprise me, I guess, if that happened. But Ella, he's got to be sleeping with one eye open. I mean, Pogosian marched on there. Now, whether they're friends or not, and I don't think they are, He's, you know, we always look at Putin as this strong man that, you know, if, if anybody dare cross him, uh, then they're toast. As you say, they fall off a balcony from 40 floors up or something. Uh, but Prigozhin is still there. Uh, he's got to be worried that, that, that at some point that he may, you know, take another shot at this and figure, okay, I'm taking this guy out. Well, there's the bigger picture. We don't know if Prigozhin is still there or not. Yeah. Uh, keeping in mind that Prigozhin was the bag man, money man, who, <laughs> I mean, he, Prigozhin undoubtedly has insurance policies of his own against Putin in case of any falling out because he knows literally where the bodies are buried. And he's, uh, he's also been in charge of the troll farms, which were so effective in interfering in American elections. He has techniques of his own maybe to protect himself. But the, the big picture here is that the very audacious uh, attack on Ukraine, which was supposed to be the one-week war, came a cropper. That is widely known now across the power elite uh, within Russia, not necessarily the general public, but the fact that this imperial adventure has failed and that there's defeat after defeat and now a stalemate and that Ukraine is getting stronger and stronger. All of that will probably play into reckonings. I've said a long time ago that the first time Mr. Putin said, I'm thinking of using a nuclear weapon. You have to, you have to think that the Russian generals around him said he just put a target on us uh, on russia to be obliterated uh, maybe it's time for the old man to go and there's increasing evidence of that as he can as putin continues to fail in his imperial adventure so there's got to be disillusionment but taking out an entrenched strongman is not an easy task 
No, absolutely. I, I got about a minute left. Let me just ask you, as kind of a roundup to what happened with the NATO meeting this week. Uh, we know that it looks like Sweden's going to be allowed in there. There's still some I's to dot and T's to cross and things like that, but I think that's going to happen. Uh, but there seemed to be a reaffirmation from just about everybody at that meeting uh, that we're not going away, Vladimir. Uh, we're going to we're going to see this thing through, and, and these guys are going to win this war. Uh, how does that get received in Moscow? <laughs> Again, the people around, since you ask what can be done to Putin, the people around Putin have to see what you have seen, that NATO is getting stronger and stronger. Finland's uh, accession really is, you know, doubled <laughs> the border. So the mm-hmm. fact that NATO is now getting increasingly effective, not only in taking in members, but in now getting ready to have a long-term reorganization of their resources across Europe. Who's going to produce what? We're going to, getting ready to go to war. Uh, this was a wartime summit. It took steps to be there for the long haul. In terms of Ukraine, they've upgraded the institutional relationship there. Uh, they've also... Uh, Separately, the G7, and this was kind of the surprise. I, I knew that bilateral security guarantees of some kind would come out of this, in addition to the NATO pledge for uh, long-term supply of weapons and ways to deliver them. But in addition to that, the G7, Canada's part of that, has said uh, we're signing separately on our own, not part of NATO, but you know we're here at NATO announcing it, that... Uh, we're, we're signing long-term contracts uh, with, with Ukraine. We'll be there to provide the material they need. Please note, there was no guarantee that uh, forces would be brought to bear, that there was no Article 5-type NATO guarantee that an attack on Ukraine would lead to the use of G7 troops. But G7 has now said, Mr. Putin, you can't outweigh us. Uh, you can't outlast us. You can't outsuffer us. We're here for the long haul. And NATO backed it up with a lot of the activities it took as well. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see just how this is going to be uh, addressed in the in the cup and gaze, because usually it, it's that quick that there's going to be a response. And as usual, Elliot, we'll uh, look to you for some uh, direction on that. Thank you so much for this today. Really appreciate the time. Well, good to talk to you, Bill. Okay. Have a great weekend. Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at Carleton University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.